may be seated. And our Old Testament passage is found in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 through 9. And then our New Testament passage is found in Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. So Philippians 3, 17 through 4, 1, but before that, Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9. So hear the word of the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then our New Testament reading from Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your Word, your Word read, your Word heard. We know this to be a means of grace unto our edification because your Holy Spirit illumines that Word as we hear it read and applies it to our hearts. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do that work. And now, Lord, we come to the preaching of your word. Grant the unction and the anointing of your Holy Spirit to your servant to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things that I have anticipated as we've worked through Philippians is this particular text, and I have mentioned it on a couple of occasions, because one of the things that we have done, noting just how autobiographical in many ways this epistle is, is we've seen the Apostle Paul as an example to us. And and there are those that say you should never look to the scriptures at individuals as your example of Lord Jesus Christ. And I understand the dangers of simply looking at a text and say, 
be like that character or don't be like that particular individual that we read about in the text. But Paul invites us in this text to imitate him. We need to take him seriously when he does it. That's what he says. It's how he begins the text. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. And I will stand before you and say that it's with fear and trembling that I approach this text. Because by implication, what Paul is saying to me, an elder in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, a minister of the gospel, that I need to say the same thing to you. Imitate me. And imitate others that you see that walk in the way that I'm walking. And, and, and I, I do that out of obedience to the word of God, but with much fear and trembling. And I think all of us probably wrestle with this. You may not be a minister in the church or an elder in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but but many of you are fathers or mothers and you have children uh, that you're raising or your grandfathers and, and grandmothers or in other kinds of relationships that you that you have. And in some of those relationships, you're in that position of the one that the Westminster Confession of Faith would call the superior to those that are inferior. And you must say to them, you must say to your children, to your grandchildren, the same thing. Imitate me. So it's not only I that tremble before saying that. You need to recognize in your own circumstances, you must be prepared to say that as well. And why is it that we struggle with saying, imitate me? It's because when I think about that, I think of all of my shortcomings. I think of all of my sins. I think of all the ways I don't want you to imitate me. Maybe some things you don't know about, (laughs) but I can think of all these reasons why I would say, no, don't imitate me. Imitate somebody else. Imitate Paul. But I have to say to you, imitate me. And and one of the things that comes to my mind is not simply the text that follows. And we're going to look at the text that follows. Because what he's going to do is he's going to contrast those who walk as Paul walks. That is, in light of the gospel, in light of the age to come, in light of our citizenship in heaven, rather than being earthly minded and earthly focused. He's going to make that contrast. But I want to remind you of what we have seen leading up to this. And I think this is very, very important. The last time I was here, we focused on the paragraph that comes before it. And at the heart of that paragraph, Paul says, forgetting the things that lie behind, straining forward to the things that are ahead. There's a lot that's involved in that. Paul is in some sense, saying he forgets what he was before he came to Christ. We've already seen that in this epistle. You know, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was circumcised the eighth day. He had all of these things. They counts them as rubbish. And so the life that he had before, he is forgetting in terms of straining and moving forward in the life that he now has in Christ Jesus. But I think there's more to it than just that. I think we're talking about here the Christian life and how we live the Christian life. Are you walking in repentance and faith? One of the things that I said last time that I was here 
is that the devil wants you to remember things God wants you to forget and not to remember the things that God wants you to remember. How often does the devil come to you and whisper in your ear, why should God love you? Because you did this. And that be a sin that you've repented of and you've gone to the Lord Jesus Christ and you're washed in his blood and God himself says he forgets it and yet we remember it. You see, the Christian life is not just, okay, I repent and I believe, now I'm a Christian. So I'm done with repentance. Now I just have to live as a Christian. That is, pick up myself by my own bootstraps, as it were. No, you don't begin in the Spirit and then walk in the flesh. You begin in the Spirit, you walk every day in the Christian life in the Spirit. Repentance and faith is every day. In fact, we are to walk that way moment by moment every day. And so when Paul says to the Philippians, imitate me, this is one of the things he's talking about. Imitate me in how I live the Christian life. Remember what he said? It's not that I've already gained the resurrection. It's not that I'm already perfect. He recognizes. He still stumbles. He still falls short. He's not yet arrived. But he's straining towards that which is ahead by forgetting that which is behind. The Christian life is a life of repentance and faith. And this is what we need to exhibit before those that are under us, whether it be under the session in a congregation or under a pastor or whether it be children that are under their parents or children that are under their grandparents or whatever arrangement you may find yourself in, whatever kind of relationship it might be, what are you exhibiting to the children? And this is one thing that I think is concerning to me. Oftentimes, I think parents make a huge mistake in the rearing of their children. They don't let their children see that they're sinners who need repentance and who need grace every day because they're afraid if their children see me really the way I really am. Now, what kind of an example am I? The very same fear that I shared with you. And what do you teach your children when if mom and dad really never make mistakes? What do you teach your children What do your children become? Oh, they'll know the answers. They can give every gospel answer out there. They'll know their Bibles inside and out. But where are their hearts? You see, they can be (laughs) do-gooders. They can be the ones who do what's best in order to please mom and dad, but their heart be far removed from God. This is why when you shepherd your children, you you need to... pierce in there and see what's going on in that little soul. What do they hear when they hear the preaching of the word? How does that word impact them? What are their questions following the sermon when they're listening to the sermon and when they're taking notes? Is there anything about conviction of their sin and how they need to run again to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that what's happening 
or they have all the answers. They've got all the answers down. And we don't realize that we can be teaching them to walk in hypocrisy. I heard years ago at the very first family conference at Major Retreat and Conference Center, I was the director of that conference, which meant I got to pick the speakers. We had a young couple that came that did a seminar in biblical child rearing. We had two preachers, one an experienced one, one a younger fellow. And it being a family conference, of course, what the ministers did was they looked at such passages as Ephesians chapter 5 about families and the relationship within the families. And I'll never forget what one of those preachers said. It was so provocative, it just made me sit up in my seat until he explained it. He was speaking to the husbands and fathers. He said, husbands and fathers, you should be the biggest sinner in your family. What? Why would he say that? Well, then he went on to explain, after he got my attention, and I'm sure everybody else's attention, he said, you should be the first to see your sin. You should be the first to confess your sin. You should be the first to realize your need for mercy and grace, and you need to model that to your wife and to your children. You need to be the first to confess your sin when you've sinned against your wife or you've sinned against your children. I said, no, I'm the head of the family. I'm above that kind of thing. You need to be the first to recognize your sin. You need to see your sin for what it is more than your wife and your, or your children can even see their own sin. You need to see the magnitude of the grace of God that's necessary to forgive your sin. And you need to model that before your wives and before your children. And he was right. Husbands and fathers, you have a unique responsibility within your family to walk before your family as one who realizes, I'm a sinner, I need God's grace, and God's grace is here for me. I'm not saying that we tell our children every sin that we commit. (laughs) I'm not saying any such thing. But living a life where we openly acknowledge our sin and our need for grace so that your children will realize they're sinners too and they need grace because they can become little Pharisees by doing all the right things because it pleases mom and dad by knowing all the right answers but what's going on in that soul, you see. And I think that Paul exemplifies this when he says, it's not that I've attained to the resurrection. It's not that I'm perfect or complete yet. Even even prays, if you remember last time, he said, pray for my deliverance. And that can happen in one of two ways. One, that he will stand before Nero, and when he stands before Nero, Nero will act in justice and will release him from prison, and then there will be more for him to do. But the other way that God can answer their prayers for his deliverance is if his head is chopped off by him being faithful even in the face of death. He doesn't want to bring shame to his Lord at the moment of his death. Please pray that I would be delivered, that I would bring glory to him should that end in my death. This is someone who recognizes 
his weakness, his need for grace, his need for strength and the strength of the Holy Spirit, his need for boldness that comes from union with the Lord Jesus Christ in the moment of crisis. This is someone who's hiding nothing. And that's the way we should be. And he's saying, imitate me and imitate people who walk as I walk. That is, in repentance and in faith. That's what your children need to see. That's what members of the congregation need to see and hear and witness in in their leaders. Not those who are self-righteous. So he says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you've seen in us. He's saying, not just me, but look at my associates. Look at the people who are here with me. Look at how they have been among you. Look at Timothy. Look at Epaphroditus. Look at their manner of godliness, which is walking in repentance and faith. It's not showing off their good works. Walk, imitate those like me and me who walk in this way. But then he does contrast it with verse 18. For many, he says, of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, the question is, is who is he talking about? The Philippians know because he's talked about this with them and talked about it on many occasions with them. But, but we, may, we need to ask, stop and ask the question, who is he talking about? Is he talking about people within the church? Is he talking about the Judaizers that he's addressed earlier in, in this particular epistle? Those that would teach a works righteousness gospel And yet from within the church, the Judaizers claimed Jesus as their Messiah, but they were walking legalist. Or is he talking even beyond that outside the church to those who are in the world? Or both? I think the emphasis probably here is upon those who are within the church, these false teachers who have found their way into the church. And he's exposing them for what they really are. Look at what he says. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. This is how they are. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now Paul's about to contrast that with where he and his associates' minds are set. They're on heaven where we are citizens, on the age to come, not on earthly things in the here and now. If there are those within the church who are walking Pharisees, walking hypocrites, this is a description of them. Don't imitate that. (laughs) Imitate me and and those who walk as I walk. But we also see those are really not Christians. (laughs) They may be within the church, but if their doctrine is a works righteousness, if they're boasting in their own righteous works and putting down everybody else, then how are they any different than the ones who are outside the church? How are they any different than those who are unbelievers? 
And what Paul is saying here too, if you look beyond that to those that are outside, he's saying don't imitate the world. Don't imitate the world. And do you know how difficult that is? In Sunday school this morning we were talking about confidence. These kinds of themes are coming up. What are our idols we were raising? What are, what are the idols in people's hearts? And how easy it is for us to erect idols. Are we going to look to the world? Are we going to imitate the world? Are we going to get our values from the world? Much of the church today is compromising as the culture is impacting the church and the way it thinks. So things that a generation ago or less than a generation ago, the whole of the church called an abomination are now celebrated in some corners of the church as being righteousness. This is what we see. It's so easy to be carried along by the world. It's easy for us to focus on things in the here and now. Now, as those who are in the church, typically we're not pulled that far, although some have been. But it doesn't mean that we can't be lost in the things that are around us, even as we talked about in Sunday school, even in good things. Good things can become our idols. When our focus becomes earthly, upon things in the here and now, and how easy is it for us to be so caught up in everything we're going through in this life here on the earth that we hardly give a thought to the age to come. I asked you earlier when we're looking at Paul and what Paul was facing, when, how often do you contemplate your death? <laughs> Remember that? Because that day's coming. How often do you contemplate heaven? How often do you think about heaven? How often do you think about the age to come? How often do you recognize that this age is coming to an end? Or do you let the love for things of this world become idols in your heart? Be careful. It ends in destruction, as Paul says here. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. That is, whatever satisfies them in the moment be food or drink or whatever else. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Are your minds set on earthly things? When it is, what have you done? You've manufactured an idol. And that's what Calvin said. Our hearts are experts at doing that, at being factories that manufacture idols. That's what the flesh does. And it comes by focusing on things in the here and now. What does he say? He says, but our, not them, our, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That power, that raised Christ from the dead is the power by which he subjects all things to himself. There is a consummation that's coming. There is a heaven to be gained, Paul is saying. 
Our citizenship is there. It's not here. And we need to live our lives in that way. Now, that's not to deny that there is a sense in which we have citizenship here. Paul has actually relied upon that when he used his own Roman citizenship in order to appeal to Caesar. But it's as if it's, as if it's nothing by comparison to your citizenship in heaven. And is that what has your greatest joy and zeal? Is that where your eyes are focused? Is it upon heaven and heaven to come? But let's face it, you're here today, you're gone tomorrow, just like that. Three score and ten. And some of us here have borrowed a few more than that, but not many more than that it's going to be for any of us that are here. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. Eternity is eternity. Some people say, well, if you're heavenly minded, then you're no good here on the earth. No, that's not true either. Remember when Paul was wrestling? <laughs> what happens? Well, if I die, that's better. I get to go be with Jesus. But if I don't, if I'm released, it means more fruitful labor for me with you. As long as I draw breath, God has a, an earthly purpose for me. He has a ministry for me to carry out. As long as I draw breath. But I conduct that ministry in light of eternity, in light of heaven to come. And that's where the power comes from. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And recognizing that that power will raise us from the dead. The day of resurrection is coming. And our bodies will be like Jesus' glorious body. We need to be thinking about the age to come. We need to live life now in light and in the power of the age to come. And it's when we walk this way that we should say, imitate me. You walk this way too. You walk this way too. Forgetting what's behind, straining towards what's ahead. Living in light of what's ahead, recognizing that my citizenship is in heaven not here upon the earth. Don't get caught up in earthly things, even good and important things. The priority must be the age to come and where our citizenship actually is. That's the power that resides in us. And this is how Paul walked. It's how his associates walked, those with him. It's how he's saying that we should walk when he says to us, imitate him. It's how you should walk when you tell others, imitate me. In walking in this way, in light of the age to come. We learned in Sunday school again, what? What are the nations? Drop in the bucket. Here today, gone tomorrow. The nations. Here today, gone tomorrow. But the kingdom of our God lasts forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul and his boldness to tell us to imitate him. And even as we read where the Apostle says the same thing to the Corinthians, that they were to imitate him as he imitates you, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, ultimately, let us imitate you, Lord Jesus Christ. 
Oh, Lord, do this work in us, we pray. Father, let this congregation be a congregation that recognizes that our citizenship is in heaven. And we hold this out to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.